Okay, hello and welcome to uh, Game Dev Grit Podcast, episode 11. We're here with uh, our first uh, repeat guest. We have Ash Blue today, and it's the first episode of our new thing called Dump File, where we're going to talk about our current projects and we're going to dump about what's driving us crazy right now. So, Ash, to start off, can you talk a little bit about your project you're working on and then go into um, dump, dump it all in the file? <laughs> So I'm currently working on a project called uh, The Wanderer, which is a JRPG style game. And in it, we have a, a lot of dialogue. So the problem that I have been dealing with lately has been uh, when we started our game, uh, we built all of our dialogue on top of a third party resource uh, called Xnode, which is like a really, really great system for rapid prototyping and development problem is our project has gotten to the point now where we need to start building custom tools into our in-game uh, dialogue editor. So for example, we need spell check. Uh, we need um, special data selections for choices. Um, we need to be able to essentially post-process a lot of data um, inside there too and add things like tool tips. So when you hover over like a piece of text, it'll like be like, oh, okay, here's like a bunch of, you know, information associated with this thing that this person is talking about. So we need kind of all of these fancy pants tools. And the problem is, is that we really can't build it on top of this third party tool because the third party tool just isn't designed to support this stuff. Mm -hmm. So now we've got like a, a year worth of code locked into a third party asset. And I'm essentially kind of rebuilding that asset. And it is just kind of... Uh, really frustrating because this is like the first like every like since we started this thing a year ago um every month i've like put out like a couple scenes worth of content and now for like the first month in a while i haven't really you know put anything out and i'm just like oh this, this thing is frustrating i knew when i you know it's gonna take a few months but i'm just still not there yet yeah and something about that process i think that really like messes with you as a solo or small team developer is that it's like you get lost in the woods like if you're on a good pace and you're working on your game's design and all, you know, what the game really is, and then you, we go off on these little side roads, and this happens to me, and then I forget, like, what my game even is. Or, like, I forget, you lose the momentum about, like, what the game is, and, and it's just, like, you're toiling on this, like, system, and then you're like, what is even my game? Does that happen to you at all? Yeah, kind of like a, a creative depression, almost, the best way I can describe it. Like, like you feel like, oh man, you know, like you've been doing so much and like, you know, the game is flowing and you're getting playable content. And then it's like, oh, you know, you, you know, you need to, to build a tool. Like I know you were working on the pathfinding stuff, uh, which is, I know, like a huge thing to, to bite off on your game. And it's just kind of like on just working on this tool. I know I absolutely have to do it and do it right. You know, otherwise everything else is going to suffer. So it's like you're stuck. You, you have to do it. Yeah. And I think when these things happen... It's like when you go off these side roads, if it takes, you know, a couple days, um, you can keep sight of your overall game and your goal and without losing that momentum or that steam or that connection. But once it starts going into weeks and longer, then, you know, the view of your game and what your game is like dims and then it just gets dark and then you're like, what am I doing? And then you're just fighting the system. That's what happens to me. Like, um, it's maybe like, I think like four or five days when it goes past that, then I'm just like, uh, what is this? What's happening? Where am I? 
Yeah, I think uh, one thing I've been trying to do to like make this not too bad is kind of putting it in smaller chunks and then like still working on my game at the same time and uh, doing a been doing a lot of promoto timers, mm -hmm. um, which is like what is it like a, a forty five minutes of actual work and then you take a fifteen minute break and then you do another forty five minutes. But the problem I've been finding is like bouncing back and forth now between the tool and <laughs> actually working on the game is like starting to be uh a problem the best way i can describe it because it's like oh well i'm doing all of this at the same time and you know i'm not really going forward with either thing so it's like well i need to just stop and work on one because i'm just kind of running in place right yeah i would think maybe that in theory it sounds like it could work because i was like oh that's a good idea but like the way i work i i have so much tenacity i can't let go so like if a system isn't working, like I can't sleep. It just bugs me. I can't just let it be. So I find myself just obsessing on the system. And then, yeah, it might, like I told um, Ash privately earlier in my game, my game God Machine I'm working on, which is a third person platformer, um, I was like, oh, this camera system, these camera system assets don't do exactly what I want. I'll just make my own. And it was like, oh, yeah, that's no big deal, right? Okay. And then I think I ended up spending like a month and a half like building my own camera system, which everything worked fine until I got to the collision system. And and then I just had to give up because it just got so complicated and buggy that I just went back to the third-party asset because it was far better than what I did. But um, yeah, I just it was like a lost in the woods moment where I'm just like, what am I doing? I don't I suck at vector math. Like, what am I doing? <laughs> like. Yeah, no, sometimes on that, it, it's it's hard to figure out what to do once you said, like, you're lost in the woods. Um, for example, um, like, I was working on with my dialogue system having kind of a uh, an automated layout with it, which I kind of like with dialogue, but uh, just everything kind of started becoming, like, so complicated, like, last night after talking with you and Rachel and some other people, like, oh, what should I do in this? I've been, you know, kind of stuck on the same thing for a few weeks now. I've got all the the dialogue data done, but the actual graph display isn't. And it's kind of like, well, probably just scrap it and kind of look at the source code of, you know, what I know works. And it's really nice when you actually have access to source code on a tool. Because, um, mm -hmm. you know, you can kind of look at it and hopefully rebuild it slimmer to, you know, what your actual needs are. Yeah, one of the biggest things on my current project, I've been running into it over and over, is that, like, I'm I'm having to scope everything down like the things I built early on where I was like oh like let's say my my main behavior tree system I made this master tree that used all these um external behavior trees which Ash is familiar with the tool behavior designer but they're just like what external libraries you can load in dynamically like separate trees so I did all this stuff and I built out like this master enemy so like it can do everything it can like if it can take sniper positions, it can jump up and down ledges, they can flee, of course, attack, all this stuff. And I built this tree. And my thought process at the beginning was, oh, I'll build this out, like, totally. And then for new enemies that are simpler or dumber, as I call them in my systems, I'll just take things out. You know, I'll just disable things. And then now, I'm like, no, 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 this that was entirely wrong. I should have just built the simple enemies first and their simple pieces so that I can debug them and getting, get them working with, with these simple enemies is do one or two things 
And then once I've worked through them and debugged them in the simple systems, then I could have scaled it up and used the smaller pieces, you know, like a modular thing to build a more complex one. So I find myself in a lot of my systems, I'm going back and like pulling stuff out and just being like, this is too complicated, you know, scope it down, scale it back. And that's something that I've been doing a lot of recently. Have you heard the quote, pre-optimization is the root of all evil? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I find myself doing that sometimes too. I'm like, oh, if I just make this a little module. And the, 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 the depressing thing to me is, is sometimes when you pre-optimize, it works out beautifully and it saves you a sane amount of time. And then sometimes when you pre-optimize, uh, it just, you know, you're actually digging six feet down. You're not actually going anywhere. Yeah, and like how soon should you optimize? Because it's like, okay, you build out a system. It's really rough. You test it. It works now, when is that point from when you first test, like how much do you need to test it before you then go and refactor it and like clean it up and then or optimize it? What is that line? Like, you know, when when's the right time to do that? Yeah, I remember I was babbling to you a little bit last night, you know, in my private message rant to you about like, oh, this this freaking dialogue tool, I'm losing my mind. And I think the like magical kind of uh, balance with that is use a tool like, you know, start with a tool that's already made. Preferably, um, personal opinion is open source just because, or an asset tool where you can see the source code. Mm-hmm. You know, use that tool till it hurts. And then, like, you know, when you're like, oh, man, you know, going forward anymore, this is just going to, you know, create so many problems. That's like, you will kind of know when it's, like, time to, like, rip it out, whether it's it's having problems or, you know, other things. And at that point, I think, is when you should try to, you know, optimize and tear those types of things out. Yeah. um, Also, with those tools, I think what I'm going forward with now is, like, instead of, like, let's say there's a third-party asset that does what I want. I'm going to avoid it if it causes pain, but I'm probably not going to avoid it if it just kind of limits what I can do with it. You know what I mean? Like... I'll just kind of work around it. So if it's painful, if it's preventing me from doing things I absolutely need to do in the game, but then if I just sort of have these other ideas and it doesn't really do it, I think I'm just going to take that hit and, you know, work around it. I think that's going to be my new approach going forward. Yeah, I I agree with you there. Sometimes um, there's a couple things that we use that even I've written. And I'm like, man, I wish these things that I wrote, you know, maybe did some extra stuff, but I'd rather just work around it than, you know, go back to the drawing board on, you know, kind of this API and how it works. Like I have a custom stat system that's pretty good, but some of the code under the hood is gnarly, but it doesn't have any errors. It has testing behind it. And I'm just kind of like, yeah, you know, I can, I can just roll with this. Could, could be better, but you know, don't have to. I guess the problem is though, is like once you kind of hit like a, I guess like a workflow problems are generally what I find running into with tools that are more limiting. You know, you kind of hit this wall and it's just like, man, like, you know, this is causing me like, you know, several extra hours of work or, you know, I'm going to have to build an an, an entire library around this library to make it do what I want. Like, I remember I was feeling that pain as much as I love behavior designer. Once I started getting big trees, like you said, with like the nested tree stuff, I remember that kind of started getting like painful and, um, like behavior designers meant to be visually driven. So, you know, pumping data into things as they get created with it can also be like really frustrating. Yeah. I mean, especially it's, it's like, I mean, that's a thing. I'm sure there's some terminology or some term for people that have developed software forever where it's like, 
oh, cool, this thing looks great, it, it looks cool, you know, I'm building it, it makes sense, but then, you know, when you start testing it and using it and realizing, oh, to actually see what I'm doing here, I have to go like three trees deep, you know, to see what's actually happening, and then that's what I was saying for my own process, like, no, I'm just, I need to build the simple pieces and test those extensively before I start plugging them into more complex systems, and, um, yeah, but I think the pain thing, it's like, I think we should be avoiding the pain instead of the, you know, the pain in the workflow. Because uh, everything that I, you know, from working from animated films and the stuff I came from, I realized recently it was just all about workflow. For me, I'm just like, what's the workflow? You know, you get a good workflow, a painless workflow, and you can pretty much do anything, you know. And it's just about finding that painless workflow not maybe not the workflow like it doesn't do everything that you want but as long as it's painless so i'm like willing to trade that off i'm like it doesn't do everything i want but it's painless let's do it yeah but also um i have like a, a really good story i'd like to share where i actually buried myself because of a tool that was like really convenient and was really good mm -hmm. there was a a tile map editor i cannot remember the exact name of it um that we used before you because unity now has their own 2d tile map editor this is back in like unity 4 um mm -hmm. there was this amazing system that would do like these uh you know great tiles and it had like a a tile brush system so you could actually brush the tiles on and our team went oh man you know this is exactly what we need it solves all these problems that we're having of our own you know tile systems or other tile systems on the asset store and for dragon name coal which was the previous project i worked on that uh, didn't quite make it um we used that and we used it for about two years of the project, and then Unity announced their own tile system. And the creator of it was just like, I'm done taking this thing off the asset store. I'm not updating it to work with other versions of Unity. They were like, hey, I'm going to open source it, but it's probably going to be like six or eight months because there's stuff in here that I can't, you know, like I have to rewrite because like I'm using packages that are paid and yeah, and so essentially we were like, oh no, we're like totally screwed with this by this thing, you know, that was really convenient and helped us out. And now we're like, okay, so essentially I spent like, what was it, like three months rebuilding that system. And it was just so freaking painful and so much code. And to be quite honest, like if maybe we had like... Uh, Maybe just doing gray boxing instead of like doing like, you know, brushing out stuff or, or maybe just a simple editor system that we had start with on our own internally. And then, you know, maybe just waited for Unity's uh, tile map system. Um, really could have made that, you know, limitation or pain point like way easier. I mean, I don't know. I, I get paranoid about third party assets sometimes when yeah, they that, seem like they work. That brings something up. So, What's your approach to, so we're both using Unity, and have you, are you familiar with Unity's LTS builds? Oh, long-term support, yeah. Yeah, so when do you lock in your Unity version? Is it when right when you start a project, like, hey, you're starting your new game, this is the version we're going to stick with, we're only going up to the LTS for that version? What's your approach to that? Well, it's not, I think it's a... Uh, best practice big quotes here you know this is in my opinion best practice from what i know um consoles are generally up now require you to have the latest version mm. so pretty much you have to update and constantly update um 
friend of mine who is uh, Eric, who is the programmer on. Um, oh gosh, what is the name of it? Oh, uh, one minute here. I think what was the name of that game? I can't yeah. remember. There's a friend of mine who's working on a game for Serenity Forge right now. Um, and essentially, he's telling me he has his update constantly because, like, the console kits and stuff like that, he has to test with her. Is always like you know, pretty much on the latest version. Oh, so yeah, I didn't, much know, I didn't game, know that. Oh. oh, yeah. Until your game is done, you just got to keep it updated and updated. And I, I, you don't want to fall behind versions because then you might be using a big system that's deprecated, which could really get you in trouble. So is that really a big limitation? Is that just from the consoles? So like a PC build or Mac build or whatever wouldn't have that thing. It's really just you're saying the consoles require that. Uh, yeah, consoles. So definitely consoles. I think like Windows, Mac and PC, you'll probably get away with on the rare occasion. Windows 10 um, pops in something that might break everything and they patch it, but usually LTS builds are going to get those patches. But if, if you want to have a, your game on PS4, Xbox, blah, 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 yeah, you, you got to keep it up to date. Because, oh, see, from my, from my world of like CG and 3D and filmmaking, you know, there's a saying where you, from designers and stuff, like you never upgrade in the middle of a project. So I kind of have that. So I saw the LTS. So I started this project with 2017.3. So then I think the highest I'm like, I'm going to move is that I think the next LTS is 2017.4. Um, that doesn't have any crazy breaking stuff, but yeah, I didn't know that about consoles. So, so in game dev, I wonder in unity, so they don't follow that. Like, I mean, it's impossible, right? You have to upgrade your saying if you're going to use consoles. Yeah, if you if you want to port to consoles um, and use the console porting tools, uh, you absolutely have to. Man, we must like pain. <laughs> <laughs> I've I've just learned um, just update all the time. So whenever I see that there, I pretty much uh, my my rule of thumb is I see a new version, I upgrade to it immediately. If it's a new year version, I wait one to two months and then upgrade. Seems to be a safe window. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, things definitely break, but I've generally found with the newer versions, even though they break, they generally get things that are broken patched pretty freaking quick. Yeah, we talked about this privately. I was talking to Ash, and you were kind of making fun of me because I was so terrified to like upgrade to a new year version. And I was like, I don't know, man, I'm scared. And then I, of course, I backed up my project and everything so I can upgrade and, and roll back if I need to. But then I upgraded to, I think, uh, twenty eight, some version of 2018. And... Not only did I get errors in my Unity project, it actually made Windows pop up for every single service that was running on my computer. So <laughs> my whole, all my monitors were just filled up with weird service windows from Windows. And I was like, oh God, what is this? And like, of course I went back, so. Yeah, one thing I found with Unity and upgrading, if you're doing like a big upgrade, sometimes you need to like. Delete the uh, library probably. Yeah, delete all the caches underneath. So since I use Git, I just like delete the whole repo, reclone it with Git, and then it's like everything works again. Yeah, for our uh, for our dump file, I'm gonna get back to. There's probably a saying. I think, like I was saying, getting lost in the woods. But something that I have to always bring myself back to is just like when I go off on these side roads and start working on these systems and start taking up all this time. 
you know, I forget what the game is, I forget what the game is about, and I think if you're wearing all the hats, your game designer hat, like, kind of falls off, and you just get into, like, you know, the tool maker, the engineer, whatever it is, the developer, and I find when I lose my designer hat, I lose sight of the whole project and the system that I'm working on, where it fits and things, and so what I try to do is, like, put my designer hat back on and pretend that, like, you know, I hired myself to build this thing, and but I need to keep the vision, the whole scope of the thing, you know, in sight. And then it helps me, like, put, like, the current system, even if it's giving me problems, like, back in perspective and keep the project, like, moving. Do you have any strategies with, like, flipping your designer developer hat on and off and stuff? Oh, man, that's a great question. Um I mean, generally what I try to do is since I, I use like a Kanban-based system for uh, like an agile uh, board, um, generally in that I try to make sure when I'm working on something that it's just like tiny pieces. But, you know, like saying like some of these bigger things, it's like, oh, hey, you just have to build it and sync the time. Um, strategies I keep. I guess the, the biggest thing is is like, not working myself to death on it because I'm about you. If I'm not careful, I'll put like, you know, in like so many hours and not take care of myself if, you know, when these big things kind of roll around like this. Yeah, I'm just thinking because like in a studio, you know, if we had like a bunch of people working, we didn't wear all the hats. Like if you're a designer and you're like, oh, I need the system. And then the programmers go and work on the system. The designer keeps his vision. He's like, okay, they're going to do that. Now, what am I doing now? You know, but when we're doing everything, it's like we're switching the hat and then I forget like where, hey, what did the designer want this for? Like what is this? Especially if I start like building the system out more than what my designer hat person needed. And yeah, I think what I'm trying to do now is just remember like, hey, you know, I think the designer is the most important role. So I can't like lose sight of that, you know, and forget it and go off into these paths and start believing that like, oh, my nav mesh jump platform system is the most important thing in the game. You know, it's like, it's not because the experience that the person is going to have with the game is the whole thing, you know? So I think I'm trying to remind myself that like, Hey, Hey, designer guy, he's the person, you know? Oh, okay. Yeah. I do something. Okay. In that regards, like generally, like, uh, if something isn't going according to plan, I'll just kind of cut a piece out. So like, okay, you know, like I want, you know, this stuff to do my design and whatnot, but then, you know, like, it's like, ah, you know, Hey, this is taking a bit longer than expected. It's like, okay, well, you know, I can cut down this tool to just be, you know, this minimal piece. So then I can get back to design. So like, you know, maybe I'm just taking like a much smaller cut to evaluate it. And then it's like, okay, like, you know, next iteration, I'll try to, you know, cut out this, you know, other piece, but it's, it's hard with the tool still because, you know, you have to get kind of that based core that you can kind of iterate on mm-hmm. so have you been having uh like with your uh nav mesh tool like i'm guessing right now you're kind of going through like a prototyping phase with it yeah so i built a system because the thing that frustrates me in games when i play them is like if you're up on a ledge or an area above an enemy and let's say they don't have a ranged attack even if they do where you can just like it's just really easy because they can't reach you so I'm just like, you know, I'm making the game I want to play. So it's like, oh, man, I need a way for enemies to, like, reach you. And I came up with a couple different ways. One is just an, a jump system. So the the enemies are on their own. I'm using the nav mesh surface system, you know, the, ex, the component system that you, up till now, I have to add into my Unity externally. But um, 
so they're on a surface and then all I do is like, you know, you have a target like the player and then I spawn like a dummy nav mesh agent at the position of the player and then I sample the path back to the agent that spawned the dummy agent and then if it's a complete path, then I just seek to it. If it's a partial path, then I get that point and then um, I just have then I move the agent from their current point to that point and then it makes it so they jump up and down. And I've been testing it for a week now. Everything's working really good. And then um, I retooled that into, in that same nav mesh system. You know, in the old Unity, they used off mesh links. And then now they use nav mesh links. Have you used those at all, the nav mesh links? I believe so. I was playing around with the uh, repo that they had with kind of like all the, the new nav tools. And I haven't really gotten back into that, though. Yeah, so it's like you have to generate. If you want an enemy to be able to to move from one nav mesh service to another, you have to create a link. So of course you can do it manually, which was like the old off mesh link system where you move it into place and then you connect it to other nav mesh. So I just used that same system for jump points to spawn a nav mesh link and then connect those points. So then enemies can create their own pathways up and down services. So um, I'm testing both of those together. I just have like one enemy that can jump and another enemy that can make those links and I just throw them in and play against them. And it's been so far so good. I, I, this is like the actually like the third or fourth iteration of those systems that I've done. So it's been brewing for like I, I built them into the complex master tree and then now I've pulled them out and rebuilt them on their own and you know, in the, in that system. But, um, yeah, it's been working pretty good so far. Yeah, no, it's uh, one step. That's good. Yeah. So, like, like with your process with that, are you like, um, like kind of have like a tiered plan to like build it out? Because um, like one of the things I find like, I'm working on like a system like that, and I'm not integrating it with the game. It can also kind of feel like you know. Because like generally, I, I I try to build like little things like that personally in like little buckets, because I'm just always afraid of kind of like jacking up a ton of code. Yeah, so I'm I'm in I'm gray boxing the second level right now. So what I'll do is that I have these different checkpoints in the level that then when I start the game, I can just you know spawn right there, and then I'll just throw the enemies that have those capabilities, you know, really close to where the player spawns. So I actually play the the game as it's going to run and play against them. So I just test it like that. And as I'm doing other stuff in the level design, I'll just leave the enemies in there and then try to test them with different use cases and things to, to make sure it's fine. But um, I'm sure, of course, when I move into other people playing, they'll break and have all these problems. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's what users are good for is definitely breaking things. Yeah, no, yeah. it's interesting um, how you mentioned like talk, work with like, a bigger tool now. Like one of the approaches I've been trying to take, say, find I run into problems with like just like my code base just getting so large mm -hmm. as I've been trying to kind of like you know take those individual uh like really big packages and snap them off and put them into uh pack the, the new unity package manager because mm -hmm. it just really uh you know helps prevent that like code bloat and then it's just like you know oh hey like the way you kind of think about that thing that goes into your project I think it helps a lot because it's like well this is just this you know separate modular thing and I eat, you know, data and information out of this separate modular thing, but it's not like intermingled in my code. 
because one of the things that we did in a dragon named Cole, which I really regretted, was I built like this uh, massive uh, input uh, wrapper around an input library, um, and the code just got so intermingled in all of our other code. And by the time like I kind of realized what I had done, it was really hard to modify like any of the input information. Yeah, what I've been trying to do too is just like, because I mean, I read the books, you're supposed to read clean code and all this stuff. So I understand, you know, modular, smaller pieces, you know, one class does one thing. But, you know, you read about it, but then it's so easy just to like start programming and like, oh, now it does this, that, and then build these classes that do multiple things. But what I've really kind of stuck on as I'm building the real game and playing it is just, of course, building tiny classes and using a lot of Unity events that then you know I can drag and drop another class onto that one and just have it fire the event so the classes don't have to care about each other. So I've been using a lot of events and I find them really easy to debug too because you know you just click on the script that's in the event and shows you what it's doing. So I've been moving into that direction a lot. Yeah, event-driven development makes a big difference. Although at the same time, I do sometimes find myself uh accidentally relying on i believe the term is side effects with events and i get myself in trouble so is that so, like if you had an event a call a method in one class and then there's some other code in there that's doing something else in another class or something is that what it is yeah and it just happens to by some circumstance fire another event so it's kind of like a side effect of an event or something happening that maybe necessarily shouldn't happen and then you end up with a piece of code that's like waiting for, you know, maybe some kind of update and it maybe like falsely fires and mm, then yep. if you go around and like fix it later, all of a sudden that thing stops working because it was relying on the event that is now like correctly firing. I don't know. Like little things like that tend happen if you get like a lot. Usually that happens though when you have like events talking to events and you start to get like into uh, what they call in a lot of web development callback hell because you're like you don't know where you know the event is actually lining up i just know that i've done this before and yeah. i deeply regretted it <laughs> yeah so far i think it's just one event calling another class that doesn't have any events so i haven't strung them together yet but something i started doing that i stopped really quickly was that i saw this um it was like a unity talk or was this guy in austin he was like the he did this talk about scriptable objects and how they can be used to make event systems and all this other stuff and like variables. And I used a lot of it. It's really helpful. But then he outlined a system that was like a global event system with scriptable objects. And I started using that, but then I realized really quickly that it was awful because there was no easy way to find where those things were being used. So the global events, no, I just stuck with little local ones. So, you know, I can see where they're used. I think I've seen that video, and I think when I watched it, like I had worked with scriptable objects a lot before that, and I was like, "This is a terrible idea." I like it's cool what he's doing, <laughs> but I was just thinking to myself, "There's so many ways that this could go wrong." <laughs> Actually, the variables using scriptable objects for each variable too, like a global variable, it's really hard to to maintain. I found, maybe I'm not doing it right, but I did implement some of those. I only use like two of them, I think, but yeah, because. I just got a tool that I'll post in the show notes. I posted in the tools section of the Game Dev Grit Discord. And it's this little editor tool where you can drop any Unity object into it and then find where they're used in your project. 
And so that would probably help a little bit because then you can drop the event or the variable and it would show you where it's used. But it's still, kind of, yeah, it's very clunky and I lost track of a lot of those scriptable object variables and things. So, hmm. Yeah, the way that I've uh, generally been managing like any sort of like global variable is uh, actually open source and moved into a Unity package. Uh, built this little uh, database instance system and... Uh, you can actually access it as a singleton, and essentially all of the um, the va the variables that you put in it or requ request, they're actually just scriptable objects. So you say, "Hey, I want this float of the scriptable object of like you know like whatever is globally stored," and it actually has uh, the ability to save to a file in it and everything. So you can see them all there, so they're all there together. Yeah, so essentially I get to mm. determine how all of my uh, global variables are all organized. I just kind of pop them in folders, and then I can just access them there. Yeah, see, the system, that's what I should have done because I didn't have them centralized anywhere. They weren't all together somewhere so that I could follow them. They were just kind of used in random classes here and there. So, yeah, that seems like it would be a good way to manage that. Yeah, I've got it. Like I said, it's a Unity package. I should uh, post that. Uh, in the chat notes for sure. Yeah, if it, I'm 2017, so I can't even use the package manager with my old. But you know, if it's a regular package, I can use those. Oh, you can always just uh, go and uh, grab the data out of it. I think you just put it in your project too. Oh, okay. Yeah, but I, the package manager is nice. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, um, I'm using the old prefab system, so I'm sure you could tell me all day about that. I've used the new one. I did a little game jam game and I used the new prefab system and I thought it was awesome. I'm just terrified of my million prefabs being upgraded. Although I heard uh, it does, Odin doesn't work with it. It doesn't? No, Odin Inspector does not work with nested prefabs, a friend was telling me. Oh, well, 2017 for me for a while. <laughs> yeah, no, up upgrading is always painful. Um, I don't think with anything it's ever been a simple process, although I have found that the longer you wait, the more painful it gets. Yeah, so I try to look at the notes because, you know, they upgrade notes and they're like, this broke and that broke. But um, avoiding that has um, has been good, so I, I don't know. I mean, the, when I finish this game, the first version, I'm, I mean, I'm just going to make it for Mac and PC builds and see how it goes. And if people really like it, successful, whatever, then I'll do console builds because I'm not... I've never done any console builds, but from what I've read, I'm not going to underestimate the complexity and difficulty of doing that. Actually, what a lot of people do um, in the industry, or this is super duper common, is they'll do what you're doing like with an LTS version. Mm -hmm. Just stick on the version, and then they'll go to like a, a game studio, and they'll just be like, hey, I, I want to put this on consoles. Like, I'll give you you know, 15% or 30% of the sales you know, if you guys convert it. Yeah, that sounds nice. Also, for for um, what is it called when you make all the different languages a localization? Oh yeah, that's similar. People do that, yeah, for localization too, um, or work with a studio and be like, oh hey, yeah, you know, blah blah blah. Although it's a little bit probably harder to work out the percentages with something like that. Like with a console version of like a conversion, it's just like, hey, you know, whatever the sells on the console, give How you X. How soon do you start working that into your projects? Like, I know yours is a lot of uh, text. Like, how do you do that from the start, like the localization system, or is that something later? 
it's funny actually the meetup i run in denver uh for game dev we were talking about this and you should kind of get an idea of how you're going to do it um early on in your game theoretically i have (laughs) just not like since i use a third-party asset that really wasn't meant for dialogue to kind of just build like data i haven't really handled it yet um, the way that our team is looking at doing it is just kind of exporting everything to essentially uh, a CSV-based system and then re-importing it. So it's, this is a great question. Localization is uh, very painful. Yeah, I Actually, didn't become... If, mm-hmm. Oh, go ahead. As I say, a friend of mine, uh, Ben Wanderer, who worked on uh, Dragon Age Inquisition and has done some indie games too, I say he'd probably be good to have on the podcast to talk about dialogue writing in games. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, when I started this project, I wasn't aware, I wasn't in my headspace about localization and then sh- ways into it. So what I did, I went and created a separate project and like got all the localization assets and looked at how they managed the data. And then I've kind of moved my stuff into a direction so it's not it wouldn't be so painful to then adopt one of those systems. So that's been kind of my approach. But I'm just like, yeah, I know. no one wants to play my game yet from anywhere. You know, <laughs> when I put it out, it's like, <laughs> I'll put it out for English and see if anyone even wants to play it, you know, from anywhere else. And if they do, then I'll tackle that. But right now I'm not assuming anyone's going to want to play it. I, I've kind of felt the same way personally too. And I'm like, well, you know what? I should probably just build my own system to handle these types of things on top of my dialogue tool but like do i really need to like solve that now and i'm like eh. yeah i think my approach kind of comes from when i i do music too and like one of my the first time when i made like my first album and like i think i made i printed like a thousand cds and then maybe i sold like 30 of them right and then those like 900 cds just sat taking up space for years and just made me feel more shame and more like a failure so i'm very hesitant to build things out expecting crowds or people you know before i know they're there so i'm just like yeah yeah okay english and then if people like it you know cuz if i went and like built it out for 27 languages and all this stuff and then no one wanted to play it then i just feel that same shame and guilt yeah that uh Makes me feel um, PTSD from previous uh, purchases of merch. Similar idea of like, oh, hey, purchase all this merch. Nobody wants this thing. What the hell am I going to do with this other than just stare at it and cry? Yeah, man, never again. I just did it <laughs> once and I'm like, no. And when people are like, how many should I make? Make 10. Like, make 20. Don't do it. Because, I mean, it's expensive too. Yeah, and then you just have this stuff staring at you like, look at me, you failure. No one wants me. No one wants you. <laughs> you know, so... Yeah, it definitely feels that way. Well, I've been telling like a lot of my friends who are just like, oh man, you know, like I'm going to print like an, who are particularly artists have been like, oh, I'm going to like print an art book or like t-shirts or something. I'm like, print on demand. Don't do it yourself. It's a trap. Yeah. I mean, that's what's great about, because there was, I have to look at it again for books. There was Create Space, which I know Amazon purchased. I don't know if they still do the same thing, but it was really cool because it was print on demand books. So that's kind of a win-win. Nice. Yeah, no, that that stuff is like hard um, logistically to do because we were trying to figure out a Kickstarter for a dragon named Cole and we were like trying to get plushies printed and I remember it was like, oh man, you know, like a thousand plushies minimum and we're like, what the hell are we going to do with a thousand plushies? We're not going to sell a thousand plushies. You're going to have to sleep on them for the next 10 years. 
No more oh, bed. Yeah. We'll just sleep on plushies. Well, our apartment was like only like 600 square feet, and we had two people living in with all of our office stuff. So we're like, where, where are we going to put this? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's what's great about digital games, you know, and that like digital um, digital games don't take up any space. So it's like that would be a different thing, right? If we're still in a day where we had to like print physical copies of games and have them sit around. So I think the more digital we can go, the better. Yeah, no, it definitely helps. So in our first dump file episode, uh, is there anything else in your dump file, Ash, that you want to throw out there? Oh, things have been driving me insane. I think it's mostly just been uh, like, you know, kind of like what we covered. Like, you know, when you break off, a, like, when do you break off a tool? How do you approach breaking it off? How do you, know, you get it into the game? How do you not, you know, lose your mind kind of refactoring everything after that? So... I oh, mean, I guess I mm-hmm. thought of one more thing I wanted to talk to you about. Do you get the gray box blues? Because right now I'm in the gray box blues, so my game doesn't have any art. It's just you know, uh, primitive shapes, whatever for my level geometry. As I'm testing it, I have some audio, but I find myself like getting bummed out because I'm like, look at my boring game. It's just these gray cubes. Like I know I need to do it. You know, part of the process. But I find myself like really wanting to do art. I know I shouldn't. I'm not. But I'm just get kind of get bummed out about the the gray box, like the look of my game. So I have to go back and like I did a little uh, like the cutscene for the intro of the game, and I have to watch that to remind myself like, no man, it's gonna look cool. Do you have anything like that? Like in your gray box, do you get like bummed out about it? Huh. I interestingly, um, I don't get direct. I don't have like. Like an overwhelming, like oh man, like I feel like I need to do this, and it like gives me like a what I would call like a creative depression. I, d- I don't run into that. I've noticed Rachel, who does the art in the game, does run into that. Mm. Um, I know when she's not working on stuff for a while, or like making like you know any product, or if she sees the game, she's like, uh, I want my stuff in there, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, we're working on it. <laughs> yeah, um, it's, it's definitely a thing. But I do feel it when I let people play test my game. Because yeah. I see them making like you know like things that like essentially just some design or just like character models in there would like totally solve, and they're just like oh like what the hell or who the hell am I talking with or who is this person I'm like oh oh dang <laughs> yeah I haven't even uh yeah had anybody testing it yet but I just find myself you know because it's like I'm play testing it as I test out new things I'm building because I drop in the levels and uh, but yeah it just becomes like I tend to. F- Maybe this is a problem in my brain where, like, I forget that, like, yes, I'm going to put textures on things. There will be props. There will be art. So it's just some raw thing, I guess, where I forget. But, I, I yeah, I, I so I created – I don't know if I talked about it last time, but for tracking all my in-game data, I'm using a wiki from Zoho. Zoho.com lets you create one free private wiki. So I have a wiki section called the visual development and then one of the sections I dropped in like screen caps from cut scenes and some texturing art tests that I've done I put it in there so when I get too bummed out now with my gray box blues I go look at that and be like oh yeah it's gonna look cool so I used to feel something similar actually um, with writing so I think this may be kind of like a a separation of concerns type of deal so it's kind of like well the art person you know would normally be concerned with this or like the writer person would be concerned with this and i remember when we used to have our dialogue 
uh, separate from in our game, I used to constantly get like frustrated. Is that like the dialogue that we had didn't took so long to pour in and everything that was like, oh, this dialogue is wrong. And then we would, you know, I'd look at it and I'd be like, this is the wrong dialogue. <laughs> yeah, my so maybe thing. That's just, mm-hmm, go on. Oh, I have a thing with dialogue where, you know, you set up the dialogue system and I have this NPC and, you know, here they are. They're stuck in the level, da, da, da. But until I go actually go through the dialogue and play it, I kind of forget that it's like, oh, like, oh, I wrote cool dialogue. When I go test it, I'm like, oh, yeah, my game has a world and there's characters that say things that mean things. So that's another thing I find that I have to like go play or read through the dialogue because I forget. Like, I'm like, oh, yeah, just dialogue because it's like, yeah, dialogue can be so powerful, you know, but when you're not like reading it or experiencing it, I tend to forget like, oh, there's just this NPC. Yeah, whatever. But then if I play it, I'm like, oh, this guy's saying cool stuff. Like, oh, yeah, a game. So, Yeah, dialogue could be an entire session to talk on, actually. But, um, yeah, no, it's it's interesting to me because, like, I find if uh, I read my dialogue and then I don't, uh, like, like, after I play it, I immediately want to rewrite, like, all of it. Really? I, I like, oh, man, all the time, yeah. Like, I'll, I'll write dialogue, like, um, and then like, as soon as I'm like playing through it, like I realize like there's a lot of opportunity, like, cause you know, like when you're playing in context versus, um, when you're playing in context, versus you're just kind of writing something in like a bubble, uh, I commonly find, I'm like, oh, well this just recently happened or there are these things and you know, we can adjust to, you know, lead so up you, to it or it's like, mm-hmm. so you find yourself adding more. Um, adding and taking away, like a lot of times, like once I actually like play it, uh, I feel like totally different about it. I so, wonder, I- like, mm-hmm. cause from move from writing films, you're supposed to read it out loud. So in a game, would it be that you have to play it, right? You have to go through the thread or do you try reading it out loud to you or anything like that? How, how has that changed your approach? Yeah, I definitely, when I'm writing, like just doing the writing, I definitely read out loud and I write like like mini layouts and stuff like that and notes and everything and try to like make sure I get it but like I don't know just something happens whenever I end up getting it in the game and actually walking through it yeah you know now you say that I find the same thing but I find it a lot too if say I have an area with several NPCs and then I go through and go through their threads you know I'm playing the game and then I start making these connections of like oh this this one should mention this because this guy's saying that and it kind of like helps me connect the stuff by actually walking through the area and talking to them all yeah no it can be similar too with game design um like similar problem of like until like you actually you know are playing it it's like is this really working like you know how i think it's gonna work yeah that's um i should because i have a build so i finished the first level of my game which is probably about 30 30 minutes of gameplay i think and i should probably like play that every day so I remember like, hey, what this is, because, you know, we go down these rabbit holes and technical things and like, oh, I'm working on this system. And, you know, I tend to f- I forget. So maybe that's something I should get in the habit of doing, like playing to the build and being like, OK, this is the world. Yeah, no, I mean, like I now have uh, about 40 minutes of gameplay and sometimes I'll just sit down and play through it. And when I do, I'm just kind of like kind of back to what you were saying, like, oh, hey, this is actually pretty cool. This is what I'm building. And hey, it does work and it's not a complete failure. And, you know, whole world's not going to, you know, say this is the worst thing ever when they play it. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe we should do that. Like first thing before we work, like play the build and be like, OK, yeah, this is where we are. This is a thing. 
I guess it depends. Like sometimes like I need a refresher of it and like other times I'm like, okay, I've played this like a hundred times this week, I don't want to do it again. <laughs> yeah. I guess a part of me is afraid to play it too because I'm afraid to find stuff that's broken and I have to fix it. Oh, you always find stuff that's broken, but that's what a, a backlog is for. So, yeah, yeah, I ke- I know this stuff. It's just like I know with my coding things, you know, things are broken, but it's like, well, that's why you have versioning because you can roll it back and fix it. But for some reason, I guess because I'm still so new to this world, it still scares me. Yeah, it still scares me. I've worked in it for quite a while. It's yeah, so. Well, I think that was a. We both dumped a lot in our in the first dump file. Ash, what do you think? Yeah, there was there's plenty of dumping going on. <laughs> so uh, if you've been on the podcast already and you want to come back on and add to a dump file, we can do a dump file episode. And if anybody else is in the Discord listening to this, and you're a game developer or if you work in any aspect of game development, you want to be on the podcast. I'd love to talk to you. So please message me on the Discord. And Ash, you'll have to jump back on again because i'm sure you're gonna code up some some other things you want to talk about right oh as always yeah maybe we could do like a bi-monthly or monthly like you know do a regular dump file because i'm like you know i the only person i talk to in real life about the stuff is my wife and she's a musician not a game developer you know so i'm like oh yeah last night like at like one in the morning, we're on the front porch, like drinking a beer, and I was telling her about my how my AI behaviors tree system needed to be more modular. But it's like probably more productive if we do it on here with people are doing it, right? Yeah, no, could be maybe like a group <laughs> thing or something. But yeah, I do the same thing with my wife Rachel. Like I'll tell her about uh, <laughs> what is going on and like this complex problem, and she'll be like, "Do I? Do you want me to respond to this, or do you just want to talk at me?" And I'll be like. Sometimes I'll be like, I just want to talk at you. See, that's why we insane. need a, That's why we need a <laughs> podcast dump file. So actually, I'll leave an open call. So anyone who's been on the podcast, and I'm not locking new people out, but if you have something that you're doing currently in your project you want to talk about, and we don't have a thing scheduled, just message me and we'll do an episode. Because I think this is useful for all of us, right? Yeah, no, these are definitely uh, landmines that are currently exploding. Yeah. So, so cool. Thanks for being on, Ash, and good luck um, on your project, and looking forward to talking to you again in the future. Yeah, you too. Take it easy. All right.